you're interested in more polyamory uncensored content you're in luck we just started a blog polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com we're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews and guest posts from authors like you if you'd like to be a guest author contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com, and we're going to have some fun, new, poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. Welcome to episode 67, where we talk to Garrett and Dylan about safety at play parties and about the good, the bad, the ugly and the just plain complicated truths about our poly lives. All right. Well, welcome. Uh, I will start with Dylan. Who are you? Hey, uh, first of all, thanks for having me, Lindsay and Katie. Uh, I'm Dylan Thomas. I host another podcast called Life on the Swing Set, and I'm an all-around malcontent on uh, the Twitter machine. And you can find me at Dylan Thomas on Twitter, uh, being yelled at by lots of people. It's entertaining. Thank you so much for being on. And uh, Garrett, who are you? Hi, my name is Garrett Lee. My pronouns are they, them, but I'll accept he as well. And if you use he, try using she too, because I have a full range of gender inside of me. Um, a little bit about myself, I guess. Uh, I'll just try to keep it simple. Uh, I'm, I'm guided by three, four core values, truth, love, play, and liberation. And I think they fit squarely in this space. So maybe I'll reflect on those core values throughout this talk. Thanks for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. Uh, so I think that one of the most important parts about like play parties and and honestly just being in polyamory and the dating and sex field is safety. Uh, and I always want to bring that up. I, you know, communication and safety are kind of like top tier of the most important values. And uh, so I thought this would be a great beginning topic to our series about play parties is like let's start with safety um and in my mind uh they kind of safety kind of breaks down to like physical uh emotional and mental and then maybe a little bit of like actually legal you know (laughs) problems that some people will run into so when it comes to physical safety let's let's get into it what kind of things should you prepare yourself for if you are going into a play party situation Believe it or not, there was a potential for a foursome tomorrow, which I haven't had group play for a long time. And uh, my nesting partner and I recently sort of dove into the deep end of the poly pool and kind of got ahead of ourselves. So that's really real for me right now. I think one of the things that I was naive about when re-entering more like group play space I was that even though I've been practicing ethical non-monogamy for about nine years, uh, it's a totally different situation with a different partner who hasn't had these sorts of experiences. So one thing that I think is the a priori that I can like 
uh, vulnerably admit <laughs> that uh, the reason the party's not happening tomorrow or there isn't a chance of it is because we didn't set up our relationship agreements and boundaries and uh, needs. We did not communicate those first. And on top of that, we knew we both had some trauma in our past, but neither of us had ever discussed it explicitly with one another at a deep level. And part of my trauma uh, that I carry with me is my very first sexual experience was not consensual. So there's that deep root. And then I've actually had some more episodes of uh, people rushing into contact and then feeling overwhelmed. Like I don't have a, I don't have even the time to say no and that it's just assumed consent. So I think that is really real for me right now. In every experience that I've had in play parties, I have been incredibly deliberate once in that space to um, be that are coming up because anything that I'm carrying with me, I really uh, need to hold space for. So it's not affecting the vibe of everyone else, right? Because there's nothing less playful than someone who's, um, you know, sort of bringing their trauma in. So I would say there's a lot of pre-work that sometimes is easy to forget about when we get excited, like, well, there's this thing that's going to happen and I got to do all of these things there. But then we sometimes forget about the things we need to do before we get there. And so it's, it's, a, it's a lovely life lesson uh, to be reminded that even though uh, I've been there and done that, it's a brand new experience every time. And you always have to check back in with anything else that's like layered on top since we've been in that space. That is super cool that you recognize that it was better just to kind of say no and step back and watch that. Cause like sometimes, um, especially people new to doing play parties talk about how saying yes is the hardest thing to do. Mm. And uh, I think that you clearly conquered what seems to be the hardest thing to do, which is to say no uh, at any point in time when you acknowledge either for yourself or for the people that you have relationship agreements with that you really need to step back. Cause like you've put all this effort. I mean, it sounds like you had the setup for a long time and there's like this buildup and excitement and all that stuff. And, and I mean, especially, you know, around the times that we're in, whether you're listening to this five years down the road or, you know, tomorrow uh, COVID and not having a lot of interpersonal contact kind of raises the stakes of any interpersonal contact. And so like both, the risk and the excitement and um, like just super props for realizing that you needed to take an extra step. And, um, and yeah, like safety is, is seriously about your relationship agreements too. Uh, knowing, setting up ahead of time, if you're going with someone else, how you're going to work with them. Um, if you are going to be each other's people, if you're going to work independently, if you're going to try and check in with each other at times, if you have a code word, want to give kind of a, a little signal if you need a little something whatever it is like um i think that's a great first focus uh before you even start thinking about supplies or timing or anything like that like you've 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 fucking nailed that so props i think that is a really huge thing that also is lands very differently for people who are in like a nesting partner relationship or who are attending an event like this with a partner that 
is obviously a very different experience if you're solo poly or single and attending an event like this where you still need to look at your own emotional health and make sure that you are in the right space to go and have fun and bring uh, an emotionally healthy self to the space. There's less sort of that you need to pre-negotiate with whoever else you might be attending that party with. I mean, you may want to have conversations with people who you expect to see there just to, you know, know that there's people who you can trust who, you know, if something comes up for you are going to be able to, you know, be there for you, give you a hug, you know, give you a warm cup of tea, whatever you might find yourself needing, but it's not, I think the same level of, preparation or it's a different kind of preparation than if you're going into it with a nesting partner or another existing partner. That's sexy, but like totally makes the sexiness happen when you do that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that a lot of folks will kind of jump into things like play parties or, or, or just group sex dynamics spontaneously sometimes depending on uh, their ability, right? Because sometimes play parties are really hard to find. Sometimes they happen accidentally. Uh, But uh, the, uh, you know, when you are going into things spontaneously, there's often not a lot of time to communicate. And that can lead to a lot of hurt feelings, uh, bad decisions, especially if alcohol or other substances are involved. And I, I mean, just on our last episode, we were talking about group sex dynamics and so often our first experiences are not the best, are not really communicated well, and it can be really difficult to try to be exciting and spontaneous and then also communicate your wants, needs, and desires appropriately. <laughs> so I think um, physical safety is obviously something that is probably on a lot of people's minds as they think about this. And I think that it there are a lot of different ways that that can look depending on the circumstances. Um, You know, in our local community, we tend to have um, play parties that consist mostly of people who know each other, or at least who know many of each other, if not necessarily everybody. And so there's sort of of social expectation that contributes towards a feeling of safety and well-being because you sort of trust that these people are socially accountable to the community. And then there's also, you know, explicit conversations about what's okay, you need to get consent, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I don't mean to blah, 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 blow that off. I'm just, that's just just not what I'm talking about right now. (laughs) Um, But there are also clearly other kinds of play parties in existence. Um, You know, there are swinger events where there's maybe a higher level of expectation that, uh, you know, walk up to you and start making out with you. Or, you know, the consent is not necessarily always as rigorously clear as uh, we like to make it in some of our more intimate uh, events, you know, back in the days of Craigslist, people would organize parties and gangbangs and whatever else on Craigslist. And, you know, then your safety is really a matter of you're trying to figure out how you're going to make choices that work for you. Um, you know, there's other organized play party events that, you know, people have to pay to get into. There's the 15th Avenue Theater in Chicago, which I have no (laughs) idea what they're doing in pandemic times, but in, you know, the before times, you know, like people had to pay to get into. 
And, you know, they had a lot of clarity around, um, you know, consent is important, but it, there was also, I think, uh, the potential for some pressure and uh, discomfort as well. And again, like just concerns about how are you, what are you going to do to maintain your own physical safety or the physical safety of the people that you're there with? Um, and yeah, I, I think it's it definitely kind of complicated. I think that, uh, you know, part of I know that at a later date, you're going to talk about people that are hosting these play parties, but uh, you, your community uh, in, in your area has been super generous to my wife and I and a few other people from the Chicago area because we've been lucky enough to join play parties where uh, people from your community have hosted. And one of the best things that you've done and was it, generous things that you've done was establishing really early on, not just the fact that you know each other, by introducing yourselves early on so that we kind of know how the uh, how you're all interrelated a little bit, but it also establishes, you know, more than just the um, the baseline um, welcome circle that I'm sure that, that I know you and uh, Lindsay, you and Katie have talked about extensively here. Um, understanding the, uh, the um, way people interact with each other when you step into a sexy space as an outsider is super important because uh, for example, uh, Garrett, you gave a wonderful introduction and I gave a slapstick introduction, right? I totally misread the room on that and I'm a little embarrassed about it and super impressed with you. But if I walked into a play party like that coming on super strong, when everybody else is like, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're comfortable with each other, all that stuff. And I'm like, hey, who's here for the gangbang? That, that doesn't work. And uh, because you were all generous in establishing what you're all like together, um, it's it made it easier to come into that space and so uh if it is you know a a stereotypical swinger space you know people expect that yes there's going to be a uh less verbal communication about consent and bodily autonomy and more physical and the boundaries around that are differently because people um well so you, you can describe it as an expectation that you may get groped but there's also uh, the way that I choose to describe it is there's nonverbal physical communication happening that's generally accepted and expected, but it's also agreed upon. I'm using air quotes on a podcast, which is great ahead of time, <laughs> but that's one way that you're going to communicate. Uh, and that doesn't make things all right. It just means that's kind of the culture uh, of a space and how it works. And, um, and it's not as simple as like, this is a poly space and they do this and this is a kink space and they do this and this is a swinger space. It's just how it is. And so, uh, you know, both establishing what your boundaries and your kind of community is like to everybody early on. And then again, when people, uh, when people are all together is both super important and as you've demonstrated, really, really generous and shows that you care about the safety uh, of the people that are attending. I think conversations about safety can sometimes get in this context can sometimes get a little hairy when it comes to like using terminology like clean, you know, or because that happens so often in all communities when it comes to either just being someone who's dating or being poly or being a swinger. So many folks will say I'm clean. And, uh, and then and in getting into conversations about safety, I sometimes get a little worried that I'm going to seem like I'm uh, stigmatizing people with STIs. And I don't want to do that. You know, I, I never want to say that like someone is a bad person because they contracted an STI at a party, because that is a risk that you take having sex and being a sexual being. And honestly, most STIs take two pills and you're done or something, you know, like it, they're generally things that 
you can get over. And and I, I like to talk about STIs in a lot of ways, like getting a flu. And granted, in a pandemic, it hits different, right? Like, <laughs> but but before the pandemic, I would say like if you went to a party, a get together of all of your friends, it was not sexual. One person had the flu, and then everyone there got the flu. We would understand mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's the price you pay sometimes for being a social person germs happen but if you go to a play party and one person has an sci and then everyone got that sci that person would probably be considered a pariah they wouldn't be invited back and honestly it it's exactly the same thing so um stepping back from stis being like evil again i'm using quotes too like uh dirty dirty, yeah um is is really important and and yes you want to protect yourself and yes it's not great uh, to have to deal with something like a health issue in any context. So being able to avoid it as much as you can is great, but uh, not shaming folks for things happening, like get, germs, you know, like that, that shit happens. You know, in addition to like protecting, um, protecting your, your safety, uh, there this education component on, on how to be more safe, it also helps protect pleasure. Like, I've I've been lucky enough to uh, to enjoy people that are that have herpes or that are HIV positive, and I can do that because we talked about it ahead of time. Of course, like one of my boundaries is if I'm going to uh, penetrate somebody, I want to have that conversation about our, our mutual statuses, and uh, and so I know, and so I can be conscious of them and conscious of myself and. It's and because I've spent time looking into what that means uh, and what any potential additional risks are or not risks are, I can I've been able to enjoy we've been able to enjoy things together, um, not regardless of status, but with respect for status and then people and then it's still about people. Uh, I've never been with a single uh, status positive person uh, of of any type that has um been cavalier i guess about their status or uh or cavalier about how to play because of their status like no it's fine if you want to do this it's fine like it's i'm sure there are people out there but like as long as you go in understanding like hey if you're not okay with that if you're not there yet that's okay but if you're willing to educate and even maybe be a little bit educated in the moment then you'll probably be okay and enjoy safely Well, I think that also goes to the wide range of things that people can do that are fun that don't necessarily involve penetration or uh, the exchange of bodily fluids. Like you can have a whole lot of fun without those things. Yeah, I I think leaving the idea that sex is only penis in vagina. and, And I think that most people in this community, at least, have to at one point realize Sex isn't just PIV. It is a plethora of amazing, beautiful, wonderful things. Sometimes penetration isn't involved at all. Sometimes people don't have penises. You know, like there are a lot of things that can happen. They are considered sex. Uh, And, you know, we talked about this in the last episode. Sometimes you can have sex over Zoom. So you don't even have to be in the same like area, you know. So like there are a lot of things that can be considered sex and sexual and foreplay. And I think once someone can kind of like broaden their idea of what sex is, then options become a lot more, uh, you get a lot more options. So when you go into a play party situation, if you have the expectation that sex is only one thing and then you don't get it and you feel like you 
didn't have the experience of a sex party, if you were to uh, open up your mind about what sex is, your experience could be greatly benefited, right? Like you can have a lot more options on the table. You can have a lot more kinks that are potentially discussed or, or uh, played around with. And I don't know, like, I just feel like it, it helps in a play party situation to not have a ton of expectations, but going into it with a lot of like, this would be really cool ideas, options, mm-hmm. cards on the table, right? Uh, yeah. it, it helps you a lot. Yeah. If I can tie a few things together, um, I really appreciate uh, these, these pieces, the uh, context, education, and, you know, sort of this knowing yourself, like what you're setting expectations. And to me, uh, knowing yourself and what I alluded to before with your traumas and what energy you might carry into the situation, what might trigger you, what might make you feel uncomfortable, what might give you fear, you know, when you're talking about STIs, if there's nothing wrong with that until the fear that you're feeling about a certain STI, maybe you project that fear onto someone. And I think that's what shame looks like. But one of the things that I found um, that, that works really well for me um, and it was, gosh, it's been like seven years ago since I was in like big play parties. Um, so that may be why I rushed into one supposed to happen tomorrow so quickly and haphazardly but um you know people talk about the safer sex talk and so we talk about um you know it is a process of not only knowing yourself and educating yourself about sexual space and you know understanding what as the risks of certain stis are ahead of time understanding what um you're comfortable with ahead of time so it's like knowing yourself but then that next layer, I think you alluded to this before, Lindsay, is being able to communicate how well you know yourself. Because if you can establish that sort of uh, communication, I think it then translates into respect from other people that, hey, I know myself, I can voice what I know about myself. Um, And so I think that's the purpose of what many people call the safer sex talk, uh, being polyamorous myself in the ethical non-monogamy space, I call it TLC uh, or the the lengthy or long conversation or the loving conversation. Um, and, you know, to me, uh, you know, that all that work you do before going into the space, then once you get into that space, you can have, if you know the participants ahead of time, you can start to have that lengthy conversation, which is drawn out. And that is a way to create a space to say, well, okay, I'm maybe not okay with something that's coming up for me. And maybe I'm not okay with something I'm hearing from someone else or the way that they communicate. So the more that, because like you said, Lindsay, I totally agree with that. If someone can't communicate, that's a huge red flag for me. And I'm like, whoa, like you're not being open. You're not being honest. You're like, you're shading off and going like you're doing deflection or like evading certain details. And to me, that's how I start to get a read on the situation. Do you feel like that's also a part of foreplay? Exactly. And and this notion about when sex begins. I mean, I think so many people are like, do jump to that. Like, we know it's an ecstatic feeling to get off. Like, but to get turned on is like a better part. In my opinion, I love the journey way more than like, yeah, I mean, like, let's go have it. Like, 30 minute orgasm together, like 
Fuck yeah. <laughs> as as a as a as a penis haver and as and as a dude, like I uh, uh I I'm refractory periods are a thing, right? Like not everybody has uh a short enough refractory period to enjoy more than one orgasm in a night. And uh expanding possibilities around what sex looks like and taking away the orgasm as the as the goal of that can like just expand how much pleasure is, is open to somebody in, in, in a night. And it, I mean, listen, there was a time when I first started attending these things where it's like, I may not have expected to like get down, fucking have an orgasm right away or anything. But like when I did, I'm like, all right, that's my night. You know, we're done. And learning through some very generous and wonderful people that uh, there are, uh, there's a larger buffet of options available when you take your time. It's like, yeah, uh, that's that's really really cool. <laughs> I would also say that for you know vulva havers, overwhelm and desensitization is also really popular in a like really sensation heavy play uh, and spaces. Uh, and so there are times in which you know you tap out because you have to. You can't do anymore for the night, or you're just exhausted or whatever. And you're like, all right, I'm gonna hang out in the kitchen with folks for a while. And that's going to be the rest of my evening. Cause that's where my self care is at. As we said before in our last episode, the cheese table, which apparently may only be a Midwestern poly and <laughs> play party thing, but it is. So, uh, you know, I'm going to hang out by the cheese the rest of the night and, and have good conversations with everybody because <laughs> I can't be touched anymore. <laughs> and that also really points to the importance of self-knowledge. Like, you know yourself to be a person who that's a thing. And so you are going to plan your play party experiences conscious of that. And I know myself as somebody who is greedy for orgasms. So <laughs> I'm going to plan my play party experiences a little bit differently. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's shocking. <laughs> well, I guess for folks who are listening, who have never been to a play party and who maybe are interested in it or even just, or group sex dynamics, whatever. Uh, what does the conversation with your partner look like when you want to dive into this kind of play? I assume this is like an assumption that you have like a nesting partner or a partner, you're a significant other, you're going into a party with. Well, that's a good point. You, single people sometimes are allowed at parties, right? And, and people can go to parties by themselves. So, so then you wouldn't necessarily have to have a conversation with anyone but yourself. But I think generally, especially when you're talking about swinger situations, you're probably expected to go with someone or if you feel like it's safer to go with someone. Oftentimes, I think people will, will have a friend or a partner tag along. So I guess, yes, when it comes to people with primary or, or nesting partners, what does that conversation look like? But we can also talk about like, what does it look like if you're going to go alone? What is safety? I will like? talk about though. What does it look like when you're going to go alone? Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I will not have anything to add to what do you talk about with your nesting partner? So if my wife and I are going to a party, I think one of the first questions we ask of each other is like, how are we feeling uh, the, the day off? Like, you know, are we feeling like we want to just mostly stay around each other and stick to each other? or do we want to kind of be a little bit more uh, independent? And depending on the mood, uh, if we are really more interested in sticking with each other, we'll kind of lay out, okay, um, are we open to playing with people together? Are we open to like being a non-physical participant with 
uh, a group of people if if i'm involved with somebody would she want to be around that uh so you think kind of like the nuts and bolts of what this stuff may look like or if we happen to be in a group situation if she gets to the point where she'd like to step away or if i get to the point where i'd like to step away uh how do we let each other know if i go and grab a snack like is she gonna worry where i am things like that and so i just uh figuring out both how we want to move together uh or apart and how we want to communicate how we're doing uh isn't the same every time we attend a party of some sort just because we'll feel differently uh and i just making sure we check in with each other uh even if it's just 30 minutes before a party really makes it a lot easier and um it it kind of addresses any potential hurt feelings later or if there are hurt feelings for some reason which which happen like these things just happen then we can at least acknowledge yeah yeah you didn't do anything wrong it just came up as opposed to yeah you were a jerk and you didn't pay attention to me or i thought you were going to come to me or cuddle with me or something like that afterwards uh and being on the same page before really, really makes it possible to go in and not worry. So like, just, I, I, you know, it's funny. I'm playing back a conversation in my head right now uh, of maybe the last time we actually went into a group situation together, which was like a year and a half ago at this point. Right. And I don't even, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that it would look the same now, not because we still don't communicate well together, but because I think our, our fears about, not being attached to each other are different. Like over the years, I've been lucky enough to be non-monogamous for about 11 years now, uh, approaching 12. And in the first few years we played together and in the same room almost exclusively. Uh, And as we were both more comfortable with each other and with the groups of people that we would play with, we got more familiar with playing a part and uh, separate rooms, different separate floors, whatever both because we trusted each other to check in when we needed to, but also because we kind of made sure that anybody that we played with, we would have that level of trust with or communication with or something like that. And I'm feeling a weird hesitation talking about that right now because I'm actually not sure how comfortable I would be with all that. So I'm going to have to be extra conscious of how I'm feeling that day and I think one thing you mentioned earlier, Lindsay, was or be honest about the people that I or we may end up playing with saying, it's been a while. We're not entirely sure how we feel. And if you're not okay with a little bit of uh, lack of clarity or lack of confidence, then totally cool. Uh, yeah, holy crap. I'm feeling some like hesitation and doubt while saying all this stuff. And that is a thing I haven't felt in a long time. So <laughs> sorry. Good for you for stepping into that. Uh-huh. I think you're far from alone. I think huh. it's it's been a long time for most of us. And, you know, it's going to, we're, we're not the same people we were a year ago. Yeah. And, it, it feels almost like we're going to have to start from square one. It's really strange. Even yeah. with just dating, like, it's like, Oh, how do people do that? <laughs> Step one, bring flowers on the first date all the time, period. Right. <laughs> Dylan, I think one of the things you were just saying what really spoke to me is how sensitive feelings are and how fickle they are, right? And how fluid they are, the sort of fluid nature of feelings and where we're at and, you know, how the conditions we're in in any given moment can put us in a different position of comfort zones. I think that's 
a really, really healthy and almost requisite skill for this space is to be able to self-reflect in any given moment. Because even if you've had that conversation as recently as like a half an hour right beforehand, things could dramatically change. And if you don't have like agreements set up to give you a sense of safety that you can go and ask for a need to be met because everything changed for you because maybe you were a swinger sort of like culture. I, I don't identify as a swinger and like there's something sexy about it, but because I have issues of non-consent, non-consensual touch in my past, I know myself well enough that even if it was a, a wanted, like I had an attraction to a person and I wasn't ready yet to be touched, that could be like, that could shut down the whole night for me. So like being aware that like, you know, one day is not like the next one party is not like the last is I think a really healthy awareness for entering the space at any time, just because you've done it before doesn't mean you're an expert at the one that you're going into. The people will be different. The, the environment will be different. The facilitation. I, I went to parties that were facilitated and I loved that. One of the opening, like there were icebreakers to create a sense of safety of like, here's something about me that you wouldn't have guessed. Or, and, and there was like a, a strong intentionality around letting people's energy equilibrate and sort of like, we can all feel one another's vibe. And then we got to a space of um, mildest and wildest. So I think that's a really healthy boundary making um, practice where you can say it gets you in, uh, you know, especially if you're new to it, that is a really, really good way about imagining how things might go and then feeling those feelings before they happen because our minds let us do that, right? And so we can go and say, this is the mildest thing that I would like to happen tonight. I would like to potentially be able, let's just say it's a swinger party or something. I would like to meet, explore the people who are there. I would like to meet another couple and see where it goes. Maybe maybe I'd like to be physically intimate if this is my very first thing. And I don't know if I'm ready for a full swap in, you know, other rooms. My wildest would be, we hit it off with someone. Um, we both check in and we say, yes, let's do this. And, um, but, you know, I'm not ready to have penetrative intercourse tonight. And I'm definitely not ready to be fluid bonding with anyone else outside of you partner I'm going into this with. So the more direct, the more open and honest you can be with your feelings, with them recognizing them when they come up and then being able to communicate, translate that into a, a boundary or a need in order to get to a safer space of agreement, I think is like, ah, uh, everything that's going on for me right now. Cause I, I would love to get back to that party that we are about to have, but there's work to do. There's work to do. And um, if you go in haphazardly and go for all the reward and don't think about the risks of like fraying the relationship or eroding trust or creating unintentional harm, I think um, there can be a lot more negative consequences if you're not careful about those things. And, um, you know, know what you want out of the relationship. Are you going into this play party because you're unsatisfied <laughs> with your partnership? And so you're like seeking out more sexual satisfaction. And are you also doing it to like fill a void or even 
like, do you have this subconscious motivation? I know this happens in these spaces that people are so unsatisfied in their partnership. They're not willing to admit that. And they're actually looking for a replacement, not necessarily even a substitution. And like their motives are much more, you know, so to me, it all comes back to trust. And that's also another trauma coming up for me because I've had two nesting partners that betrayed my trust and eroded that. So between like having experienced non-consensual touch and then having some betrayals where there was just deceit and hiding intentions. And then all of a sudden, whoa, like things are changing. That can really, I can really shred shred you apart from the inside out. So yeah, know, know what kind of communication you need from your partner, I think is a huge thing. And uh, if it's not feeling right, say no before you go. So really quickly, uh, I've felt that energy from other couples before. But I also occasionally have a blind spot because when I'm very attracted to somebody, I tend to focus on the attraction as opposed to the energy of the couple together. And uh, on the specific topic of what a conversation with a partner looks like, I trust my wife and I've trusted other people that I've attended parties with to kind of say, hey, I know you have that blind spot, but this is a disaster in the making. Uh, They don't have it together. uh, Something like that. And uh, maybe you should ignore the very obvious uh, physical attraction that you have to that person and maybe just step back and step off and, and, and let that pass by a little bit. And uh, I, I, I do trust, like, you know, the, I, I know it, it's a dirty word, uh, but having, having a veto on your partner's stuff, right? Like that it's, it's a dirty word for a reason because you're kind of giving up some autonomy to somebody else. Uh, and you should be able to decide for yourself. But also, if you trust your partner to understand that they're not just stopping you because they want to stop you, but because, like, hey, you're actually not seeing something. Uh, it has saved me consternation before, even if in the moment I'm like, ah, oh, uh, okay, 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 I trust you. Um, so, yeah, like, just listening to your partner's intuition on the energy of a couple or a room or whatever um, it's super cool and fun to laugh about later on when you hear a story. <laughs> like, oh yeah, oh, I'm so glad that I. Hey. But it, like the the couple that feels like that though, like it it, I think there's coming back from that. Uh, maybe not in that particular party, but like if if they spoke to each other and like you know I just don't fucking like you right now. We had that fight earlier today, and I just want to go and fuck someone else. If they had that conversation. I think that's okay because there's a difference between going into a party needy and wanting to stay away from your partner and going into a party saying, all right, we're going to play separately. We're going to fuck the shit out of somebody else. And then we'll probably fuck the shit out of each other later tonight, whatever. Right. Like there, there's an energy there of like mutual uh, agreement that then comes off to other people. It's like, Oh, okay. They're not together tonight. That's fine. Uh, and just enjoy. And, and, even compete with each other like it's it's again like as long as it's all talked about right like there's so many fun ways to play with relationship dynamics as long as everybody is kind of working together you know it's Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it can be really hard to anticipate all of the things that you're going to feel and going into like a party situation there you can imagine it you can watch porn you can you know read erotica about it 
all the time and you still won't know exactly how you're going to feel when you're in the heat of the moment. And so obviously I think that practice makes perfect. And even then you're still not going to know what the energy of the room is going to be. But a lot of the parties that my husband and I have gone to, we have maybe like an hour drive to get there or like even just a 30 minute drive to get there. And we will have a 30 minute conversation on the drive there, a 30 minute conversation on the drive home and just kind of like either talk about our expectations and desires for the evening beforehand. And then on the way home talk about how awesome it was or how awesome it wasn't, you know, whatever the case may be uh, and have those kind of quick chats. It's not like a a sit down, let's negotiate, communicate really extensively, but it's those like check-ins that kind of like mildest and wildest. What do I want from this evening? What did I get from this evening? And what did I like or whatever? Uh, And those have been really helpful because it is hard to anticipate what is going to happen in an evening and what you're going to be up for at the moment. You know, I've gone to play parties and been like, wow, I really don't, I don't want to do anything. I want to, I don't want to do anything. And then I've gone where I'm like ravenous, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's different every time. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it, it is, it can be hard to anticipate. So it can also be really hard to um, communicate when you don't know, communicate the unknown and knowing that is, is, is important. And when you go into these things independently, you really have to know yourself and know how to manage your own feelings and needs, even as things come up unexpectedly. And that's definitely a trial and error process, just as much as it is going in, um, you know, with a partner, like you don't know what's going to happen or how you're going to feel. And sometimes it's going to be just what you hoped. And sometimes, whoa, it's not. And, you know, you've got to be able to figure out how to manage yourself and take care of yourself in all of those contexts. Um, And I think it's very different depending on the kind of party or, you know, group sex situation that you're looking at. Um, You know, I talked a little bit earlier about some of the wide range of uh, events and activities that at least in the before times existed in our community. And uh, I guess I will out myself as somebody who did um, organize myself Craigslist gangbangs back in the day. And, um, you know, definitely after the first one, I was a lot more emotionally like, what? than I expected to be. Um, And there wasn't somebody to lean on to like, okay, what am I going to do with that now? And I had to kind of figure it out. But I also kind of knew that that was a possibility. And so, you know, I had some plans and boy, did I make better plans the second time I did it. Right. Um, But really just because, and and this is something that I actually really want to be clear with, for um, particularly uh, queer listeners and women listeners and non-binary listeners. Um, Yes, there are different kinds of risks that we face. And I am not at all belittling those or diminishing those, but they don't have to paralyze you or stop you from going and having fun. They just require a little more planning, a little more communication, you know, maybe some backup plans. You can still go fuck the shit out of as many people as you want to and have a really good time. And if that's what you want, 
you got to fight, you know, like it's okay. You can find ways to go have that and more power to you. If it's not what you want, that's cool too. Like, you know, it's all about figuring out how you want to explore your sexuality and have these awesome adventures. Well, and speaking of, you know, being solo at a, at a party, how does that dynamic change and how does your safety or your level of safety change when you are going to a party alone? Um, so for those kinds of like really random things, like I just described, um, I made like check-in plans with people, um, you know, out who were not going to be at the party. And I didn't necessarily tell them exactly what they were getting a check-in for. <laughs> sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. It depended on the circumstances and the time. Um, for going to a party like, um, you know, like the kinds of parties that we have in our community. Um, I, I almost think that's no big deal. Like, I feel like I have a level of trust enough where I know that if something comes up for me, I can find somebody to take five minutes and be like, hey, ah, and, you know, that'll be fine. Um, there are things I wouldn't do by myself. Uh, I was seeing someone for a while who we both really got off on the idea of going to the 15th Avenue theater and seeing what happened. I would in a million years, never do that alone. Like I, I don't think it's necessarily unsafe, but I'm a hundred percent clear. I would get overwhelmed and I wouldn't be able to manage myself. <laughs> would I do it again under the right circumstances with somebody there keeping track of things and helping me not get overwhelmed? Hell Yeah. <laughs> but it requires that relationship of trust of somebody who, you know, wants to take on that role, which, you know, definitely involves a lot of sex happening right in front of you that may or may not involve you um, or not involve you directly. And also, uh, you know, a level of attentiveness and caregiving and making sure like, you know, I get a break and I get enough water and <laughs> all of that kind of thing. Yeah, I think with parties where it's like all my friends, I it's a non-issue. Like my partner could be there or not, and it wouldn't matter because I'm surrounded by people I know and love, and it it wouldn't it wouldn't make a difference. But I have never gone to a party where strangers would be there alone, out of pure just like I anxiety, you know, like just like oh, I'm gonna be stuck uh, talking to someone I don't like. I don't know, it's something will happen, or you know, and I I'm just like freaked out by it. But uh, but I think if 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 the community that you're going into is one that you're well established in, or, or, you know, a lot of the people, it becomes a lot less anxiety producing. You, you just feel comfortable. You're with friends. I actually have the opposite experience. Those part, bigger parties that I went to uh, almost a decade ago, um, I was sort of solo poly relationship, anarchy, non-hierarchical poly. I did attend with a partner, uh, but it was effectively all strangers to me. And so there was almost in that way, like just the, the joy and thrill of discovery associated with that. And I mean, it, in hindsight, I don't know how much that appeals to me anymore. You know, like, you know, we, we change, we evolve and now having a cohabitating, cohabitating and nesting partner, it, it almost feels requisite to, like rethink the entire thing. So yeah, <laughs> um, I actually look forward to being able to have a large enough network of friends that I could just be like, Hey, want to have a play party? <laughs> like that, that sounds freaking fantastic. <laughs> it on the, um, 
hosting side of things real briefly, uh, there is some reaching out that I think that as a, as a responsible host or even as a host that really wants to host a successful party, if that successful party is everybody having a great time, whatever that ends up looking like, where reaching out to, but both reaching out to people that are coming as solo and letting them know, hey, like you can come to me for anything. Uh, and here's what the party looks like. And then also being extra, um, paying a little extra attention to that person during the party, but also like introducing them to all of the good people that, you know, assuming that, you know, of course, everybody at the party is a good person, uh, either firsthand knowledge or secondhand knowledge and just being a little extra inviting. And that doesn't just have to be to solo poly people. It can be if you realize um, out of everybody you've invited, you've only invited uh, one person of color or one gender non-conforming person uh, or, you know, whatever, whatever um, person that happens to have a different background coming to the party and there's no one else that they kind of have to look to. Taking care of the people that come to the party and being there can uh, really help uh, allow for better chances for that person attending. Because, you know, I've only attended a couple parties solo. Like, I don't know truly what that solo experience is like, but I can tell you that I've done things solidly that both made solo people feel very welcome and comfortable and a couple things that didn't. So um, as a solo person, maybe asking for something like that ahead of time, like, hey, do you mind introducing me to some extra people can be a way to take care of yourself and give yourself a better chance of, of success um, or being loud and proud about a thing that you're good about and good with. Like, hey, I love using my hands. Hey, I love to use a strap on. Hey, I uh, I love ass play. Uh, and then if people are interested in seeking that out, either during a mildest and wildest thing or uh, or any any other kind of interest sharing exercise that ends up happening, it's like okay, there's a natural reason why somebody may want to come to you, and then it'll kind of help you get over that first introduction or first into uh, an, an experience or a, a group problem that you can have when going into a new space. Yeah, I definitely think that there is a responsibility of the host to establish a kind of safety that is atmospheric, if that makes sense. You know, like, just like, I want to create a space that people feel safe in, that people don't feel ostracized or like the one minority in the group, or like their kink isn't going to be welcomed or, you know, whatever long list of, of things that are going to make someone uncomfortable in a, in a space, ha- having a quote unquote safe space means different things to different people, but like also having a, an open conversation with everyone attending, like what is safe for you and what will make you feel comfortable here is really important for the host. And sometimes again, play parties can be really spontaneous and they can be Uh, fly by the seat of your pants and you don't get to have that conversation. But if you want to have these uh, ongoing, or if you want to create a community that has safe play parties, um, having those conversations with your attendees is is really awesome and important. And then, and again, like we said before, that kind of communication can be really sexy, you know, knowing what people want and desire and, and in a sexual space uh, can be a, a really fun conversation, not just like a checklist of like, okay, well, let's make sure we have this and this and this and this, but like, let's also make sure that our atmosphere has this sexy vibe so that people have a good time, even if they're not fucking, even if they're just hanging out, because that's fun too. Eating cheese. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Are your experiences that there are like safe rooms and like 
different levels of activity rooms. Like I've been to parties where there's like splash zones and then there's like tarping. And then it's like, this is not a splash zone. So don't, if you're engaging in water sports or you're a squirter, please use this space. You know, if you want to be having PIV or other forms of like high passion sex, here's a room designated for that or multiple rooms. Here is like, I've heard them color termed colors before too. So uh, I, I just wonder what, what everyone's experience is around that. Like the cheese room was like the food <laughs> the conversation only yeah. no touching, even if you're with your partner, it's just, that's where people should go to be safe. So I, I, I'm curious about that and how, um, you know, can we chat about how everyone's experienced that differently in our different experiences? Well, I will definitely say that it will depend a lot on your space. Since a lot of the folks that I know who host play parties only have so many rooms, it has come down to being like, well, the safe space as in the non-sex space will be the kitchen and dining room or whatever. That's where all the food is. We're not going to have sex in there. If you need to be on your phone and check with your babysitter, please only do that in that space uh, or in the bathroom. Right. And and then also like maybe don't have sex in the bathroom because then you're taking up that space that people might need. Um, but uh, so those are like not on sex zones. And I have been at a party where there was like a, a, a calming Zen room, no sex allowed, coloring books in there, like things like nice calming music, but then nobody used that space. And it was space that people could use for sex and then it didn't get used. So, uh, so I think that it really depends on, on how much space you have. If I had you know, the, if I had access to a, like a seven room mansion, I absolutely would have each room have different like levels of kink or splash or (laughs) fluid uh, things that might happen in there. It ends up usually being that there's two rooms or there's three rooms maximum that you have access to. And then the host, as in not necessarily the person who's running the party, but the person who owns that house gets the say in like, what mess gets to happen where? <laughs> and, uh, and, and then also I think I, I've at least been to a couple that have had themes. So like a kink theme. So we'll have like a dungeon quote unquote dungeon space where there's like a St. Andrew's cross or a spanking bench or something like that. So that'll sometimes be not at every party, but at like a random themed party. But yeah, I, I think it really comes down to to the space that you have access to. And if it's a small house, like I, have a very, I own a very small house. And so the space is, well, there's a couch, uh, <laughs> there's a bedroom, and then there's a lot of space that's not accessible at all because it's like a kid's room or uh, office, you know? And so uh, so I think it really depends on, on what you get on, on, on the space that you have access to. I do think it's really thoughtful to, if you're going to if you're going to have a space where kink is going to be part of the play party to be able to make sure that everybody knows that ahead of time um, or to be able to find a way to um, have that space be distinct and maybe separable because those are things that we know can cause stuff to come up for people and giving those people the opportunity to either select that maybe this is not the party for me, or at least to say like, nope, you know what? I am happy for you to have whatever fun you want to have. I would rather not actually be around it or see it myself. So if it's in a separate room, I can manage where I am and not, you know, and we can all have fun. 
I, I think to the extent that that's possible, I think it's definitely a good practice. Yeah, even even in restricted spaces, knowing what's okay where uh, is good. And I mean, listen, I've never been in a kitchen where play's okay. If there's a place with a lot of food, like having a splash zone in there just isn't going to work, right? Like, uh, uh, but yeah, just like uh, again, it's kind of like knowing what the what the rules of the party are going to be. Uh, having somebody define where it's okay to do that is kind of important just for the comfort of other people. Like I, I enjoy sitting next to people that are making out and grinding on each other. Uh, not everybody's okay with that. And uh, just from a, uh, but, but again, like at a party that has restricted space, you're not going to have 50 random people in there. So it's, it's kind of a matter of a space is going to support the number of people that it can comfortably support uh, until it doesn't. And then I've, I've walked out of parties that way, even with people that I know and love, not because it's a bad party, but because I know there just isn't room for the kind of energy that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And, um, and th- that can happen for any number of reasons, but ju- just an ill-defined party or a party that's overloaded or whatever it is, like, oh, okay, then I'm stepping out. Yeah, some things can can build uh, can bring up triggers that you didn't even know existed. Like I was at a party once where someone was being uh, suspended rope, rope suspension off of like a rafter, and even though this woman was rather small, and even though this rafter looked very stable, it was over a concrete floor, and it gave me so much anxiety. I had to leave the room. I couldn't be around it because I was like, she's gonna fall, she's gonna break her head open, and we're all gonna get arrested. I don't know, you know, like something like it just kind of like snowballed in my head where I was like, I can't be here anymore. Uh, and so I just had to go into the, another room, which was fine because we had extra space and that was in like a main living room area. Uh, but I, I did not expect that that would happen to me. I didn't expect that it would cause so much anxiety to see someone hanging from a rafter. And luckily there was space for me to leave that area. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, and then, and again, like that might, you might not have that much space and you might just have to leave the party altogether if it's causing you anxiety uh, or if it's going to be a real damper on your evening. Yeah. I like how you took agency there. I think one trap that sometimes we can fall into is that if we have those strong feelings of anxiety or fear or something that we might uh, slip into like trying to control the situation rather than ourselves. And I, I feel like that could be a huge problem. I've, I've never witnessed it at a party, but I feel like that could really ruin the energy for everyone. Um, the other thing that comes up around that is like, I didn't have this experience, but I, I wonder in these spaces, uh, it sounds like some of you have like friend groups or you're familiar with the community. Like, you know, if relationships don't go well or you have breakups or like, you know, like, I don't want to say bad blood, but like hurt feelings and how that like showing up and like just seeing a person you weren't ready to see, like, it just like tugs at your heart the wrong way. Like, does that happen? And like how, how, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of curious about that because it could, uh, I don't, it's just something I've thought about. So I've seen that happen. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard. It's, you know, I've been in a position where I went to try to just be a support person for the upset person. I've been in a position where I didn't really know the upset person. And so there was sort of no role for me. Like it's that is definitely a real situation that is likely to come up in a community of any size, probably. But I don't know that there's a way that it always gets handled. I'm a true believer that when there are two well-meaning people that are trying to do their best in a space that 
between them and anybody else that's conscious of the situation, they can make it work. Having said that, people with hurt feelings aren't always at their best and uh, can both end up feeding negative energy in a room, even if they're not necessarily doing anything. Like I can tell when people are eyeing each other, I can tell when there's body language. When it, not everybody's, not not everybody is both gifted and cursed with uh, body language and body language perception. I'm super sensitive to it, which again, gift and a curse. And it ruins the energy of a room when I see two people that clearly are not interested in interacting with each other, uh, and <clears throat> all sorts of things like posturing or being possessive or snipey or whatever like especially during a welcome circle that stuff presents itself real fast during a welcome circle and uh i just don't like that energy and i will either do something to assist in intercepting it or i will opt out and as a host i if i know about it ahead of time i will usually check in with both people or people that know those people. And then I'll make a hard decision. Like I'm, I'm past the point now where telling somebody I'm hosting this thing and you're not invited is a thing that I'm not okay with doing. Uh, wait, did I say it the right way? I'm willing to tell that to people and tell them it's not because you're a dick. It's because you together with this person is gonna equal a dick. Uh, where a dick is an undesirable thing, of course. Uh, and and just like, I got to take care of the party and I have to take care of myself because I care about my people. I care about my party, but I also care about you. And this is going to suck for you. And I'm going to make this up for you by inviting you to the next thing. And it's going to be wonderful. And kind of leave it at that. You know, that's one way I take care of myself and my my people or the people that are hurt. I have also definitely had situations like that where luckily, you know, one party of a, of a very c- conflicted coupling or whatever, whatever, uh, friendship was adult enough to say, I can't be in this space without, you know, maybe even having like an anxiety attack or having a lot of feelings come up that ruin the event for me and maybe ruin the event for everyone else because I'm having such a bad time with this other person present. So if they are there, I I don't want to go. Right. And so I will then be able to say, okay, well, this person isn't going to this party. Would you like to show up? Would you like to come to this party or um, invite folks based on every other party situation kind of thing? You know, and and sometimes I feel it's worth doing that. And sometimes I don't because it's kind of a lot of like hand holding and babysitting. And I'm like, maybe eventually you can just deal with this, <laughs> you know, like yourself. But for some people, they need that. And I'm willing to do some work for some people, right? But yeah, it can be really hard if two people or if a couple or if a or if exes are at the same party together and their energy is super negative and hateful and, and charged in that way, it can ruin the whole night. So, so knowing going into a party, if you're in that headspace, maybe don't go skip this one, you know, do some work on yourself first and then go because, because it can really ruin it for everyone else. And and that can be a real shame. Thanks for addressing my curiosity about that. <laughs> I, I have a question as if we're talking about party safety and stuff, I'm not sure we actually talked about as much as we talked about physical safety. I'm not sure we talked a lot about the nuts and bolts of play safety like bringing your own supplies and stuff like that. And, and do, do you want to touch on that? Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think that's really important. Having your own little like bag that you bring to every party. I think that's it's something that you might not think about right away or you might expect a host to provide, which again, especially if it's a house party, don't expect a host to provide everything for you. Bring your own shit. But like what is in your play party to go bag? I think that's really important. And I think the easiest rule of thumb is bring everything you might want to have the, both the safety and the pleasure that you want. And if other things happen to be available, then great. Uh, if you happen to bring things to be able to share, then great. But uh, my go-tos for a risk wear sex kit are some of the obvious ones like condoms, lube, oral barriers, internal condoms, and... I apologize if I didn't say gloves, but gloves, or if I did say gloves, I apologize, but but gloves, uh, because I prefer to play with barriers exclusively with people that I don't, uh, that I haven't played with before. And it allows me to both protect myself, protect the other person, uh, and protect anybody else that I end up playing with later in the night. And from a very selfish and sexy perspective, it also allows me to snap off a glove, snap off and snap on another glove and be inside somebody else quickly if there happens to be a group situation or be inside two people at the same time because of that, because then I can just and then toss it and then be on, uh, be otherwhere. And so it, it, it just increases options uh, in a selfish you know perspective. But it, I also like to bring extra types of lubricant to allow for people that may have allergies or if I've gotten samples, uh, I'd be able to pass out samples, uh, you know, different types of condoms in case somebody's like, oh, shit. Hey, anybody got a yeah. And then just toss it over. Uh, and or like I also like to bring massage oils, even if I'm not necessarily going to do it. There's always a demand for hands on bodies. And sometimes that just takes the place of a nice massage or it takes the form of a nice massage and having that stuff available. But yeah, I always bring the basics for me. I always bring the basics for the people I'm coming with. And I try to bring the basics for the people that I uh, would love to play with if it looks like it's going well in the night. I think a lot of folks will also bring their favorite toy, you know, because if you if you know you might not want penetrative sex per se, but you want uh, a Hitachi or, you know, or someone to use a toy on you, then bring it. Don't assume that someone is going to bring your favorite toy to a party, you know, bring your own. Uh, and, and then I think also uh, for folks who menstruate or who want to play with someone who is, who could menstruate, having, you know, something that you could put down under a body is important. So like, uh, I've seen people bring a handful of puppy pads, you know, just to have something in case you're going to be playing on a carpet or a couch or a bed that, that you don't want to get fluids all over. Even if you're not menstruating, people squirt, people have fluids, people have body fluids that could get on things and just respecting the space, I think is really important. So having something that you could put down, there's also like um, waterproof blankets and throws that are really nice for that kind of play. Um, So knowing that going into it is is important. Um, Yeah, I think condoms, lube, I always have like a little bag that I bring uh, with condoms, lube, dental dams, gloves, I think those are the main the main things that I'll bring. And then being clear on the people that you're negotiating with that these are the things that I am comfortable playing with, you know. And, and, and again, like uh, it, it's all foreplay. That negotiation is all sexy foreplay. Like you know, if I want somebody to use a glove, yeah, like it is really sexy to see someone with gloves on. It's a sexy way of saying put a glove on if you want to touch me. <laughs> it, it, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My girlfriend is a squirter and so always brings towels or, you know, has this idea of like one of the things we've talked about is in our sexy floor play is she would really like when we can have parties again to, um, you know, give a squirting demonstration at a party. And so we have definitely been talking about like, all right, how many pads do you think we should bring? Like, What all will we need? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or a tarp, you know, (laughs) (laughs) depending. That seems less comfortable than the pad. Mm, Yeah, that's true. That is true. But yeah, anything that you think you might want to um, have available to you to play with. I would say always throw a towel in there just in case. The Douglas Adams uh, Hitchhiker's Guide (laughs) theory. Who always knows where my towel is. Always know where your towel is. Yeah. You know, I always do bring a couple hand towels just because wiping a quick wipe off you know it doesn't even need to be a body thing it can just be a, a lube application thing or a condom application thing or something right like just having that there is super convenient uh and of course as a host i i bought you know uh massive packs of white towels and you know have the bleach by the ready later on for for that kind of stuff so like if you if you attend a play party that I, that i'm hosting in any way or not all the towels will have been uh thoroughly cleansed in one way or another <laughs> <laughs> well, and something that I have found, uh, I think that was at your house in, in your bathroom was like mouthwash and like wipes oh, yeah. and breath mints that I did not think about. And then afterwards, I was like, if I ever host a play party, I'm going to have a bathroom kit that like comes out during parties that has things that people <sighs> might need between partners, you know, just things that you're going to like, if you can't take a full shower or brush your teeth, you know, you might want to have something in the bathroom to freshen up between. I don't use Dixie plane. cups, but like I bring them out for the parties. I, I forgot about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I wish that you could all see Dylan's face and listening to this because he looked so proud of himself when Lindsay was talking. It's like, oh yeah, I'm cool. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, did think of all those things. That yeah, and it was something it was something I did not consider until I was in your bathroom at a play party and I was like, oh, <laughs> mouthwash, such a good idea. <laughs> yeah, even in well, they're not happening now. Well, maybe they are, I don't know, but like pre-COVID, just having copious amounts of hand sanitizer bottles out too for people maybe who don't use gloves, you still want to be able to like have ready access to to feeling sanitary and or changing partners because that that dynamism is something you also don't experience in typical like one-on-one or smaller group scenarios like what if you have a string of you know multiple partners you definitely want to be ready to like drop back and be present and not not risk any sort of spread right there for sure Although I will warn that using a freshly hand sanitized hand inside of a vagina might not feel great. Uh, So be careful, maybe wash your hands too. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah, I remember at one point going camping and like only having hand sanitizer to quickly wash our hands. And I was like, Oh man, that's not a good idea. Like, Oh, we got to go get some fucking water. I don't know. (laughs) I will say though that hand sanitizer has gotten a lot better. Like pre COVID, the only hand sanitizer was out there was like disgusting gel that would like ball up on your hands after you're done with it. At least that's the only stuff that I saw. But now that all of these alcohol companies are making hand sanitizer that are just liquids. I'm like, this is so much better. Like, first of all, it smells like vodka. Awesome. Second, which is almost nothing, but second of all, like, and, and it doesn't have any other perfumes or censorship in it, but second of all, like, yeah, it doesn't pill up into my hands. It just evaporates. 
uh, and or comes off when I wipe my hand with a towel. So like, yeah, bringing actual liquid hand sanitizer or having that available is something that I'm totally going to do from now on. Uh, and that is something that I didn't do before, uh, mostly because of that gross pilling factor. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a real good idea. Uh, thank you. Let's talk about testing a little bit. So uh, so I think it is really important when you are going into a play party situation to know your status. And, and I have found that sometimes that can be for people who are just getting into the swinging or polyamory community and they have only been with an established partner for 10, 20, 30 years, maybe they haven't gotten tested because they're like, I didn't need to, I didn't, why would I do that? Uh, so, so yeah, uh, getting tested can sometimes be a, a barrier for entry. That sounds weird now, <laughs> but, but it, it's not necessarily fully accessible to a lot of people. Uh, so what are some good ways that people can get tested if it's like, not something you have a lot of access to, or you don't have a lot of money, or or uh, or uh, your primary care practitioner doesn't want to. You know, like what do people do in those situations to to be able to know their test results? That's a great question. I think you know it's another one of those context effects. Like we're nested in a really sex negative, shamey society that doesn't really reinforce and promote sexual health in in the best way. I mean, if if we were a sex positive society, I think that testing would be free and encouraged and every, like it would like be included in every health plan that anyone had, you know? So I do want to kind of like, just put that plug in case any of your audience is in like policy, like we need to become way more sex positive in policy. But aside from that, I mean, you know, Hopefully people who don't have a lot of, may not have coverage uh, can get, you know, through our state, we have Badger Care. So if, if you don't have a lot of money, you're still entitled to health care and you'll still be able to go to a doctor and get tested. So it's, I think navigating the healthcare system is an a priori for all of this. You have to really be able to know that your sexual health matters, that it not only matters to yourself, but anyone, as soon as you want to connect with someone, it automatically matters to everyone else. So, um, you know, how, how do we have that conversation? But given all of that, um, there's a number of tests that are pretty much included. Like you can get like the main ones like HIV, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, all of those tend to be like free with your provider. I always go further to get IgG testing or antibody testing around viruses too that are fully available. So as a, a person who's assigned male at birth and is a penis haver, I think that's the language we're using here. Um, I, I can't, I, there aren't tests available that my doctor has uh, told me for like HPV, but that's a really commonly like go under the radar thing that men can transmit men or male body people can transmit, um, without knowledge so that and that can cause cervical cancer so luckily there are now vaccines to prevent against some of the more virulent ones but uh i think it's an investment you have to be willing to make even even if you don't have a lot of money and i'm the last one to poor shame anyone but like go get your state plan if you don't have coverage or look into ways to subsidize coverage find a way to make sure you can report what's going on inside of you so you can share your beauty and love with other people. Uh, that's where I'm at with it. 
And oftentimes in big cities, there are clinics like HIV clinics or, or um, you know, I know here in Milwaukee, we have two or three that have either really cheap testing or free testing, especially if you are high risk. Uh, and in some communities, you are considered high risk or in polyamorous or in like queer communities, you're considered high risk. And, um, and so you can get access to those. They often I feel fall into bigger cities, right? So if you fall into a, a rural or, or smaller town kind of area, it can be maybe difficult or a, a drive to get to those clinics, but they do exist. Uh, and so sometimes it's, it, or, uh, you know, there are Planned Parenthoods in a lot of cities that oftentimes only do cover those like three main uh, STIs, but uh, having some information is better than none. So, you know, being able to find those kind of resources is really important too. You have to really advocate for yourself though, in some of those circumstances, because um, I know I have gone to Planned Parenthood and requested like a full, you know, STI screen. And they basically said, no, you don't look like you're high enough risk to us. Like you're a middle-aged white lady, you're fine. And, um, you know, that was very disempowering and frustrating. Um, You know, maybe it was just the provider. Maybe I got into a, you know, like maybe I was unlucky, Uh, But I think, um, you know, that really put me off of attempting to get that particular set of services from Planned Parenthood. And I don't want to diss Planned Parenthood, but like that, it didn't work for me. Um, And luckily, uh, like Lindsay said, there are some other places that are more uh, targeted for STI testing um, and HIV testing in particular in a lot of big cities, including ours. We have uh, a terrific resource called the Holton Street Clinic, which is a cash only uh, testing facility that, you know, you make an appointment, you show up, they test you for everything under the sun. Um, It is a disadvantage in that they don't take insurance, but an advantage in that it's not it's like 40 bucks and yep. so you can plan for it if you don't have insurance and if you're not comfortable having a track record of having that medical care and it being in some kind of record in your doctor's office, showing up, giving a fake name and giving your 40 bucks is also an option. And that clinic I know in particular does like Saturday morning free testing for folks who are high risk. So even they have options because they're like grant funded for people who can't even give the $40. So there's, there are other options available for folks who don't have that. It also uh, helps because it's a place that doesn't report back to a healthcare provider uh, or excuse me, uh, report back to a, uh, an insurance plan or, or something like that uh, because companies, healthcare insurance companies are shit and they will, I mean, there, there are gotchas everywhere. And so like uh, on the side of people that don't have access to healthcare, you know, in, I can only speak to the Chicago in the general area, right? Like uh, how in the city proper, Howard Brown is one of the, um, the best able to serve in the, in the biggest and, and honestly most well-known uh, university clinics that, that serve uh, the local population and provide free testing and all the, and all the resources. And, and we've been lucky enough to have uh, good Planned Parenthood uh, experiences. And there are regulations in Illinois that generally restrict what kind of questions can come and what, uh, and also allow for certain types of testing. You know, with the Affordable Care Act back in the early 2010s, um, when it was finally implemented, there is 
uh, th there's language in there that requires that uh, health healthcare insurance companies provide for at least two testings a year for the basics, which Garrett, you talked about. Uh, and in general, it also provides for once a year for the expanded testing panels. And so when I go and get tested uh, and I have to advocate for myself, uh, I say, I need you to assume that I'm in the highest risk category possible. Uh, and if I'm asked further questions about it, which doesn't happen anymore with my primary care provider because I'm lucky enough to have one and we've had discussions. Uh, it's, I have sex with many anonymous people without barriers. I don't, but I have to lie to get the tests. I may have to lie to get the tests that I need. And especially if you happen to be uh, a female presenting or a woman, like you don't get trusted the way that I do with my own healthcare. And I, again, I'm a dude, I don't have to speak for you on this. I'm just saying, I do understand that I get to be a hard ass with healthcare providers and I will generally get the care that I need. Uh, you know, also like I'm a pretty light skinned brown dude. And so I don't have to incur the, uh, the people of color tax on, on interacting with healthcare providers. But like, if you happen to be a woman and a person of color, trans, obviously trans, things like that, these are, these are all factors that go against you saying, hey, I need this test and give me what I need. Uh, whether or not you have health insurance or not. And so uh, it sucks that you have to navigate these things, but spending the time to reach out to people that do know how to, <clears throat> excuse me, navigate the systems or spending the time to navigate it yourself and finding the safe places for you to access this care uh, will allow you to access places of pleasure uh, and in, in a much more safer and accessible way uh, instead of going into a party and have to explain why you haven't been able to. And again, like I, I, I have a lot of sympathy uh, and experience, fortunately and unfortunately for people that have been in these situations. Um, somebody not being tested recently doesn't necessarily mean for me, because I am lucky enough to have the education and experience, doesn't mean that I won't play with them. Uh, it does mean it will, uh, I'll choose not to do some things with those people just because of the unknown. But like I, it, it, there's a soft touch involved in telling somebody, I still care about you as a person. I'm still attracted to you. I'm still interested in you. And I'm flattered that you are in me. And I'm, I would love to play with you in these ways. Uh, but I would like to stay there, whether it's a personal boundary or not. You know, like, like the, at that point, the, the honesty of intention uh, carries through as opposed to the honesty of like, you know, but I won't touch you because, but I won't touch you because, you know, it's, it's, it's a balance between, establishing something personal and establishing a respect for that other person. Uh, that happens to be in a situation where they can't be tested like that. But if you do have knowledge of the healthcare system, uh, if you're lucky enough to have access to that, uh, all, all of that knowledge, share it with people that don't know uh, because it, it, it sucks. It's hard and it's constantly changing uh, and state by state, it's different. Um, and, you know, we, we don't have better care here. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we uh, have different ways of, of dealing with that and, and um, just understand before you do that. I also feel really strongly about the fact that you could get all the testing in the world and it's meaningless if you're not willing to talk about it. You know, yeah. so if you're going into a party and you're like, oh, I don't want to ruin the mood by talking about my most recent test results, like, that doesn't add to any amount of safety. You have to have those conversations and they can be awkward, I guess, if you make them, it's only as weird as you make it, right? Like I, I love that motto is like, it's only weird if you make it weird. Uh, so uh, having those open lines of communication is super important and they can be really quick and easy. You know, they can be like, 
hey, I got tested last month. I was negative for these things. And uh, I got tested for these things. And how about you? You know, like super easy, simple, breezy. (laughs) And even if there is something where, you know, you're like, you know what, I have a situation. And so it's got some limitations on what I can do or what you might be comfortable doing with me. But, you know, we could still make out. We could still whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. like you can still have the conversation be sexy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I was at a play party again, I guess it was like a year and a half ago. And during the welcome circle, someone said, I'm just getting over a cold sore right now. So I'm not going to really be making out with folks tonight. But uh, other things are still on the table. And I was like, fuck, yeah, like, let people know that shit. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I think that it can be really and it can be, uh, especially in a, a place where shame is frowned upon (laughs) where we're not going to have shame here tonight. Uh, It's really liberating to be able to talk about things without shame and just be like, Hey, this is who I am and what I'm dealing with at the moment. No shame. It's not TMI. It's modeling for other people. uh, It allows them freedom to to do that. You know, why did you agree to be interviewed? (laughs) Especially on this topic. Well, let's, let's start with Garrett, because I think I asked them first, and then uh, Dylan, I asked literally in the middle of last night. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so Garrett, how, uh, why did you agree to be interviewed today? Great question. I love getting into motivation <laughs> and intent. I joined because, Lindsay, you put the call out there. Safe sex, safer sex is the only way to have amazing sex. And I love to have amazing sex. So, if I can be a part of a discussion that helps more people have amazing sex and have amazing pleasure in their lives, I'm all about that. And I, I feel flattered that uh, you, you put the invitation out there and you were trusting that I could add some value. So, uh, you know, there's that too. You, sometimes you don't even get invitations to things like this. So appreciate that. And hopefully people can take some things away from it. And Dylan, why did you agree to be interviewed very, very last minute? I apologize for that. <laughs> no, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's super flattering. Uh, and thanks for thinking of me. Um, I'm lucky enough that over the almost 12 years that I've been non-monogamous, I've been surrounded by a lot of great people. In my outside of, mono- outside of non-monogamy life, I've made a lot of mistakes that have been embarrassing and horrifying and that I've learned from, but I've learned from at the expense of other people. Uh, in addition to my own. And through my experience with non-monogamy, I feel, you know, I may not be a religious person, but I like truly feel blessed that I've been fortunate enough and lucky enough to have a lot of wonderful people around me that have modeled great behavior, that have given me wonderful feedback and caring feedback and hard-ass feedback when necessary. And I've also, through opportunities that I've been able to take advantage of because I do a podcast and because I've been able to travel and speak and listen a lot. I feel like, uh, you know, it's a responsibility for me to pass it on because I've taken so much advantage and pleasure uh, and care from all that and all those people and all that knowledge. But also like it's, it's one of the best ways I can kind of offer thanks and love to the people around me and to the communities around me and to the world around me. Like I, you know, for all of our, you know, our non-monogamy, our polyamory, our kink, our our swinger, for all of our faults and flaws, we're all trying to do better. And we all have a lot of the same goals. And I am lucky enough to be a major part of all three of those communities. So like I, because I've absorbed 
and learned, and I would like to pass that on and try to do so as humbly as possible because I don't claim to be an expert. I just happen to enjoy other the benefit of other people's experience and knowledge. And you know, this is part of me saying thank you. So thank you to, for in, inviting me in and just thank you for uh, allowing me to pass that on. Awesome. Thank you both so much for joining us. I had a lot of fun in this conversation. I mean, and there were some serious moments too, but I had a lot of fun in this conversation. Yeah, thank you guys so much for coming. This is great. Thank you. Thank you you for coming. (laughs) And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband Rob for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.